Good to see everybody here. Glad you guys are with us. I'm very, very excited about starting the uh, series that we're beginning today. If you have your worship guide, you should have a handout there. And uh, the title of our three-week series, that's how long we'll be in it, the title is DNA. DNA, and don't worry, it's not going to be a a science series, okay? Not going to go into biology. Um, DNA, we're going to be talking in this series for the next three weeks about what I truly believe God wants this church to be, uh, what he wants us to be like, how he wants us to be, what he wants us to function like, what he wants our DNA to be at this specific local church. And today, as we start, we're going to be talking about the dream, the dream. And that's the vision for FBC going forward. We've got to have vision. We always have to have vision have vision in our lives. The scripture says, without vision, the people perish. So we have to have vision in our lives. And and vision is not something that's unique to a pastor or to the church. You know, that's not the only context that that's related to. Uh, Everybody pretty much has vision at some point in their lives. If you are a, uh, a business owner or a manager you've had vision as you've started or launched that that new project or that new business and if you're in management, you're constantly having to have vision. You're, you're always asking, how can we do this better? How can we do this more? How can we, can we raise our profit margin? How can we reach our customers better? So, so vision is always part of the business owner or business manager's mind. Um, if you're newlyweds, we've had a lot of weddings, and this is the season for weddings. If you're a newlywed, at some point, even if you haven't actually sat down and done this, you've had vision for what your life together is going to be like. You've, you've dreamed about what it's going to be like as, as husband and wife. Are you going to have kids? And if so, how many? Where are you going to live? What kind of school will they be in? What are your kids going to be like? You know, you've had this, this dream and, and this vision. Also the time of graduation. We just had a graduation here, and a lot of the high schools had graduations yesterday. College is graduating. And if you're a graduate, that's definitely on your mind. Okay, what's next? And you've got all kinds of people telling you, right, graduates, what should be next. They're all kind of chiming in, right? But you've got, you've got a vision in your own mind, in your own heart, absolutely, about where you want to go and, and what that's going to look like in your life as you, as you begin new chapters. So we, we're used to dreaming, and we're, we're used to having vision, and we're used to, to having plans about what's next, about our future. And sometimes, sometimes... As good and and wonderful as our vision or our dream might be, because we can come up with some pretty good dreams, right? I mean, we can have some pretty big goals, and, and we can have some good vision. Sometimes what happens is when reality occurs, we'll find that the reality is even better than the vision we had or the dreams we had, as good as they may be. Sometimes it, it works that way. Uh, my kids are an example of that. You know, when Leanne and I first got married, she comes from a, a large family. She's one of seven, and uh, I'm an only child, so I didn't know what I was getting into. And I've got to be careful because I've got some of my, I might as well just call them siblings. That you, you guys aren't really in-laws, and you know, I mean, I, I've been around so long. We're just family, right? Right, Matt? Yeah, I, I see that head. I see that head nodding. So I didn't know what I was getting into. I was like, oh, so there's more of, of you, you know? Um, I, knew, I knew her brother. And I knew one of her sisters, and, um, and I thought that was it. And then I start meeting 
there's a Martin, and there's a Martin, and there's a Martin. And uh, so she already, you know, is used to that dynamic. So when we got married, it was apparent very early on she wanted kids. Now, I wasn't opposed to having kids, but I hadn't ever really given it any thought. Like, it wasn't part of my, my plan, you know? It wasn't part of my vision. I don't know what my vision was for us. I guess I just thought we would just, you know, just be her and, her and me just going forward throughout uh, you know, our whole lives. She knew right away we were going to have kids. Um, I wasn't there yet. And uh, so then, then uh, surprise, right? Surprise number one happened. And as I got up off the floor, um, I, began, I began kind of, as the weeks went on and I began to get settled into this reality that was coming, uh, I began to dream and kind of envision what our, our child might be like. You know, and uh, turns out she wasn't anything like it, nothing like what I envisioned. And, and the same with our second surprise. You know, I, I, I was a little bit better with that news. I handled it a little bit better. Still was a shock. Did the same thing. Started kind of planning, dreaming, envisioning what that second child would be like. And once again, nothing like what I envisioned at all. Uh, and then the same with, with our third blessing with Aiden. By that time, it didn't even shock me. I was like, okay, whatever, you know. <laughs> third child, no problem. Um, but, you know, with each of my kids, the reality of who they are, while nothing like what I envisioned, they far exceeded it. They, they are so much better than anything I dreamed about or envisioned for them. Uh, so much more of a blessing, so much better than anything I could have come up with. And church, that's always, always how it will be for the child of God. That is always how it will be for the child of God. His desire, his vision, his dream, if you will, for us, his people, for the church of his son, it will always be infinitely better than anything that, that we can come up with, than the best vision that you and I can concoct, his vision, his dream will always just so far exceed that because his thoughts for you, his thoughts for me, his vision for us as a people, it's always perfect. It's always perfect. You know, and we aren't. We aren't. I know that's, that's news to you. But we aren't perfect, and, and he is, and so his desires, his plans, his vision is always perfect, and it's always going to be the best. It's always going to be the best for you, for me, for us as a church. And that's why it is so important, so important, vital to make sure that, that our desires and dreams, both individually and collectively as a church, to make sure that our desires, our dreams, our vision lines up with God's desires and vision, not the other way around. You with me on that? It's so easy to do the opposite. It is so easy to, to kind of get our dreams and visions and ascribe that to God. You know, oh, you, you must be on the same page with me, God, because I'm me. <laughs> you know, uh, it's easy to do that. But we've got to guard against that. We've got to fight against that. We have to make sure that our vision, our desire, tracks with his, first and foremost, and that that is always the case. Psalm 37.4 is an interesting verse that, that talks about the desires of our heart. And it's a great, great promise, but so often it's misunderstood. Here's what Psalm 37.4 says. Take delight in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord, 
and he will give you your heart's desires. That's great, right? I mean, when we first read that, it's like, woohoo, all right. You know, because I have a lot of good desires. Like, I desire beachfront property, all right, and I'm, I'm delighting in the Lord, so here I go. You know, I, I delight in a brand new car. Yes, it's mine. I can just see it. It's going to happen. Lord, I really delight in you. You know, that, that's not what the verse is saying, though. The verse is saying, if you take delight in the Lord, and that word delight, that means if you are consumed with God, if he is your whole purpose, if he is your heartbeat, if your heartbeat beats with his, if he directs your whole thought process, if he is everything for you, if you are submitting to him in all of your life, if you are walking in his will as, as consistently as possible, not perfectly, but consistently. In other words, his agenda is your agenda. That's what it means by delighting in the Lord. That means he is your everything. And if that's true, if that is so, and when that's true, then we can rest assured that, that he will give us our heart's desires. But it's not because it's just our heart's desire and, and, and he's not part of it. The reason he gives us our heart's desire in that moment is because what he is desiring, we are desiring. You understand that? You with me on that? See, if we're walking in step with God, if we're already connected to him, if we're already in sync with him, if we're already living out and choosing and applying his will, and we're already in that, then we can safely ask for the desire of our heart because it will already be his. And he's excited to give it to us because he's already there. You know, he's on the same page. We're on the same page with him. We're together. The opposite, though, the opposite is also worth noting, and it's, it's dangerous. The opposite is not walking in his will, not having him as your everything, not submitting your desires before his, and then still operating and making decisions and, and pursuing things. That is dangerous because you cannot trust your heart left on its own. Neither can I. You know, Scripture says the heart, the human heart, is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can fathom the depths of its wickedness? That's the human heart. So we cannot trust our heart. What we have to do is let God lead our heart, mold and shape our heart, put his desires into our heart, and, and overrule our desires with his. Then, then we can be confident that he will give us the desires of our heart because it beats with his. You with me on that? So, with that in mind, I want to share with you the dream. The dream for this local assembly, for this church. And, and please understand, this is not just my dream, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm communicating it to you, and I'm sharing with you uh, what is on my heart. Um, and I have, I have been praying about that, and so, so it is going to be coming from me. But please believe, church, this is not just Chris Chesley's dream, okay? I really believe this is God-given because uh, as soon as it became official that I was the new lead pastor here, and really, really before that even, I was praying and have continued to pray specifically, very specifically, God, give me your dream for this people. 
Give me your dream for Faith Baptist Church. Give me your desire, what you desire to happen and and to take place and how you want us to be going forward and what you want us to accomplish. God, you give that to me and then through me communicate that to these people. That has been my prayer and it still is. And in addition to that, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for all of you that, that you would, when you hear what the dream, what the vision is, that you would be able to recognize this is God-given. This does match up with Scripture. This is clearly what God would desire and what we, he would have. And that you are able to, to latch on as well. And you're able to grasp it. And that we can go forward together with it. Because, friends, I, I can't do it on my own, nor should I. That's not God's plan for the church. It's us as a body, us as a family, us as a team going forward in unity, in sameness for the common goal, which is Jesus Christ exalted and Jesus Christ proclaimed. So that being said, here's, here's what the dream is. And it's on your handout. It'll be on the screen as well. The dream is this, the vision is this, for FBC to be known as a gospel-centered place of authentic community that consistently reflects Christ and his love by loving and serving one another, the church, and our surrounding area in all we do. I'm going to read it again. For FBC to be known as a gospel-centered place of authentic community that consistently reflects Christ and his love and serving one another and our surrounding area and all we do. That's the vision. That's the dream. And, and please understand, too, as I unpack this in just a second... Um, I know that, that as you hear some of these things and as we talk in more detail in the coming weeks and, and talk one-on-one even more, a lot of these things, it's already in place. Like, it's already being done. I, I'm not just reinventing the wheel on all this. So what is already being done and done well, let's just keep doing that and do it even better. What is not in place, what is not being done that should be, let's get it started, okay? Let's initiate it. Let's own it. So, so that's where I, where I am. I just don't want you to understand. I want you to understand that, that I've not missed the fact that some of these things are already being done and, and put into place and put into practice. There's no need to, you know, to try to reinvent that. It's about being strategic and being intentional. So that, that's the vision, you know, as far as a, a context and, and as far as it written out and, and being just expressed that way. Let me just unpack that for you, though, a little bit. Let's go deeper in that. I want to I just uncover some of this. So dream with me, okay? Dream with me. We're talking about the dream. We're talking about the vision. I want you right now for the next little bit here to dream with me as a church, Okay? So, so picture with me, picture with me Faith Baptist, picture our ministry, picture everything that you've come to know and love, picture the ministry that, that drew you here, the reason you're here today. Some of you have been here, you know, 40 plus years, some of you have been here maybe four weeks, but for some reason God has led you to this place. He has made this your church. Is this your church? Do you believe in this church? This is, I, I'd like to hear that, actually. Do you, do you believe in this church? Because, you know, I assume so, the fact that you're here. But sometimes we need to remember why we are here and why we came here to begin with. 
Picture with me your church, God's church that he has made you part of. Your ministry that he has placed you in. Picture with me Faith Baptist being, being a place where people of all ages, people of all ages, young, old, in between, where people of, of all kinds of different economic and educational status levels, the highly educated, the, the very weakly educated, non-educated, those with great, great resources financially, those with not much at all, people with different experiences and preferences and stylistic leanings and different backgrounds, you know, people that have been saved pretty much their whole life, you know, as soon as they got out of the womb, they pretty much were saved, as well as people who aren't saved yet or just became so. Picture people of all those different categories. Picture all of them uniting around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Picture that. Can't you see it? Can't you see the, old, uh, the older saints mentoring and discipling the younger, being a, an example of godliness as they're told to in Scripture, passing on what they've learned to the younger and the younger receiving that with respect and with gratitude and with delight? Isn't that a great picture? Picture the people that are, that are highly educated, you know, not clinging to their education, but seeing themselves as level with everyone else because that's what we all are at the foot of the cross. We're all in need of the same Savior. We're all in need of the same grace. So picture that being lived out. Picture where, where we are united and strong around the gospel of Jesus, the only message worth proclaiming, the truth that there is a God who loves people so much that he came to this earth leaving the splendor of heaven, knowing he'd be rejected, doing it anyway, going to the cross, taking your sin and mine so that we could know favor and love instead of judgment and wrath. That's the only thing worth proclaiming. And picture a place where we're all united around that, where that's the, the driving force, where that's our passion. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Picture a, a people, a people that, that regularly prays and serves and shares in life together. Picture a, a place that, that is fueled with the power of prayer. Because a praying church, friends, is a powerful church. And a prayerless church is a powerless one. No matter what else might be going right, no matter how good programs might be, no matter how frequent meetings are, if a church is not praying together regularly, passionately, then none of that other stuff is going to matter. Picture a church that not only prays together, but serves together. That we serve one another in the context of this local body that we, we serve in the various ministries we have with the greeters out front, downstairs with the kids, in the nursery and in the, the, the actual faith training and the children's ministries. And, and we serve in the other uh, class options and the other small groups that we've got. And we serve by taking meals to those who need them. And we, we serve by visiting people in the hospital. And then we serve beyond these walls and beyond this body to a community that is desperate for hope. Desperate for some truth to recognize and cling to. Desperate for something to look forward to. Now more than ever, our area is in need of seeing a place of light and love. And we, church, must be that place. We've got to do it together. We cannot, cannot depend on, on a handful of people doing the serving, doing the loving, 
doing the praying. It's not up to just the pastoral staff. It's not up to the deacon leadership. It's not up to those who teach or lead a class or a life group. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is called and equipped to serve the body and to serve the world around them in the name of Jesus. We're all given the Great Commission. Picture that, how beautiful, how beautiful that will be for the community to look in on us and to say, wow, man, is that church together. Man, are they unified. Man, they pray together. They serve together. They, they reach out together. Wow, what a beautiful picture that is. Picture a place where the community outside these walls the Beckley area, Raleigh County, southern West Virginia. Picture a place where we are seen as genuine and real and compassionate and where they look on us with respect and with favor. Maybe they don't agree with all that we say and proclaim. Maybe they don't buy in. Maybe they don't, you know, come right up and receive Jesus Christ, but but they respect us. They view us as a positive impact and influence on this community. What would it be like for this church to be the place that Beckley, West Virginia cannot do without? Picture that. Isn't it great? Isn't it a great picture? Picture a church, this church, that has our doors and our hearts opened equally to the long-time saved and to the unsaved, where the lost person without Christ can come into this place and feel welcomed and feel loved and feel respected. Picture that. Because that's what Christ has in mind for his church. That's his picture for this ministry, for any ministry. Picture a place where people can feel safe, where people can feel safe to be honest about their struggles, about their addictions, about their trials, about their ordeals. Picture a place where people can feel free to come and and not receive judgment and hostility, receive the truth without compromise, but to receive it in love and in grace, because that was always Christ's way. Jesus is always, is always, every time about truth and grace being given at the same time. We tend to kind of major on one at the expense of the other. You know, we're really, really, really good about proclaiming truth, but sometimes really, really bad about doing so in grace and in love. Think about your own kids. How easy is it? To just recognize every single critic, every single critical thing, you know, and to be just so critical of them, and to just jump on the the, the error and just to harp on that. I mean, I, I'm I'm like that. That, that. That's kind of my natural response with my own kids, as I see the area you know of weakness and the area of flaw, and I, I just naturally tend to just pounce on that. And so I have to be very intentional about seasoning my rebuke and my correction with grace. And and I know that you aren't like that at all. I mean, you don't ever have that problem. I know it's unique to me, right? Right? Eh. See, we we all all major on truth, 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 truth. And that's good. We, We have to proclaim the truth. But Christ's way was always truth and grace in equal measure. 
in equal measure. And he, that is our example. So picture a place where people can come into this ministry knowing they're going to hear the truth. But they're going to do, hear it not with harshness and hostility piled on. They're going to hear it in love, with grace, recognizing, hey, I'm exactly in the same spot you're in apart from Jesus Christ's work in my life. Recognizing as we proclaim the truth, we are not in and of ourselves in any way superior to anyone else that hears that truth. That it is only the grace of God that makes any difference at all. So picture a place where that is constantly lived out. Where that is how we operate. And people can find hope and healing and recovery, and purpose, rather than just constantly being aimless and constantly being defeated and constantly seeing failure. Picture a place where our children, our young kids, all the the way up through the different grades, into our teens and and our young adults that just graduated from college and are just starting out, picture a place where where all of of those people, those precious ones, our children, our teens, young adults, where they cannot wait to come and they hate to leave. Isn't that a great picture? See, I know, parents, I know that's what you want for your kids. I know that for many of you, you would probably know, not know what to do with yourself if your, your, your child, your teenager, came up to you and said, hey, is, is it time yet? Is it time to go to church yet? I mean, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Mom, Dad, where are you? You'd be like, whoa, what's happening here? Picture a place where your, your child you know, doesn't say, can we go yet? Is it time yet? Instead, they're saying, no, no, I don't want to leave. Don't take me home yet. Come on, no, 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 no. Let me stay longer. And you know, some of that's already happening. Praise God. Some of that already happens. In fact, my own daughter is one of them. Uh, she, uh, she missed... Uh, uh, jag last Wednesday, both daughters did, and they were they were so depressed. It was great. <laughs> it was great. It's like, yes, this is what I want. This is good. This is a good thing. Where they begged to go and were sad they couldn't. But picture that across the board, church. Picture that with every age group, teens, college age, young adults. They just they want to be here and they just cannot wait to get here and they hate to leave. These are just some of the specific pictures, the portraits that I have in my mind and my heart, and I hope it's in yours as well. And, and I absolutely believe this is not just something that I've concocted. I absolutely believe this is God's dream, God's vision. I believe that we find everything I just mentioned and more in the pages of Scripture, that this lines up completely with God's heartbeat for the church that he established originally with the first church and that he desires to keep on going, to keep on being the case, to keep on being true in every generation. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47 with me. And you're a copy of God's Word, and it's also on the screen for you. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47 Here's what this says about the early church. And please understand as we read, this is not just historical. This is not meant to just be kept in this chapter of this book. This is not something that just describes the early church, but rather church, this is something that is to prescribe every church. 
that meets in Jesus' name. Now all the believers, all the believers, were together and held all things in common. See, there's unity. There's togetherness. There's solidarity. That's the kind of thing Jesus himself prayed for in John 17. I pray, Father, that as I leave, these will be one as we are one. I pray that they will all be one and that the world will see their unity and know and believe you sent me. There's there's unity pictured there. And it's a picture that that should be in every church and that Jesus wants to be in every church. All the believers were together and held all things in common. Verse 45, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Now, I am not calling here for us to have a great big auction and just for you to sell all your stuff. Don't, don't, don't freak out. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying that should be part of, of our heart, our mindset, is to hold loosely what we have. Knowing that it's all been given to us by God in the first place. Secondly, that what we have, we are meant to serve and bless others with. So while we you know, aren't necessarily called to just go out and literally sell everything we have, we are called to be servant-minded and willing to give and share and sacrifice as there is need and as the Lord directs. So what we do need to have is at least the attitude and the mindset and the heart that these people had. Willing, ready to give, to benefit, to share, to bless others. Verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude. Again, I'm not saying that we just start uh, meeting every single day of the week, you know, in, in in a corporate way. But what I am saying, as we see here and should be part of our of our DNA as a church, is that we do regularly come together, faithfully together, in worship and in fellowship, but that it's not just limited to a Sunday or a Wednesday, that we, we become such a part of one another's lives, that we invest so much in one another's lives, that when we aren't meeting together in an official capacity, we're still together. You know, We're still here for each other. You know, there's a, a ministry that I'm familiar with that uh, they had such a handle on the sense of community, authentic community, centered around the gospel, which is what I said, you know, the dream is, as I read it a few minutes ago. They had such a handle on that, that when anyone was in the hospital, or any of the other hospitals around their area, they would just, I mean, they would show up in, in droves. So the, the hospital had to kind of put a limit on this church, because they said, man, we're just bombarded. Every time one of your members are in the hospital, I mean, it's like the whole church shows up. How many pastors do you guys have? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, think about when you are in that situation, you're in the hospital or, or one of your loved one is, and you're used to you know, your pastor coming, of course, that's the expectation. But man, what if like 50 people showed up? They say, hey, we just want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We want to love on you. And, and so the, 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 the nursing staff has to you know, come up with a special stipulation. That would, that would be great. It's about real community. It's about going through regular life together. Not just on Sunday morning. Not just on a Wednesday night. 
truly having a life group that goes beyond having a Bible study in a home with Kool-Aid and cookies. It's about going through the rhythms of life together. Because let's face it, life out there is hard. It's hard. And it's getting harder every day, right? So the more people to surround us and say, I've got your back, and and we return and say, hey, I've got yours, the more people to surround one another and to lift each other up and to hold each other up and to be that support system, to be that encouragement, the better we are. And we all want that. If we're honest, we all want that. We all hunger for community, true community. Only the gospel can do it. That's what unites us. That's what bridges the gaps. Verse 47. After they were doing, in addition to doing all that, and as they were doing all that, here's the common thread that ran through it all. Praising God and having favor with all the people. That's, that's significant. It does not say, and they just had favor with the body itself, in the church itself. They had favor just with fellow brothers and sisters. No, it says they had favor with all the people. You know what that means? That means everybody that was not part of the early church, everybody in the surrounding communities, the towns, the cities, everyone out in the world that looked in on this church, the new baby church, the way they looked on it. With favor. They said, you know what? I may not buy into everything they're selling. I may not agree 100%. I'm still not quite sure about all that they're, they're doing. But I'll tell you this. I, I really can't say anything bad about them. Because they're just doing all kinds of good. You know the early church? There in the Roman Empire. They outgave, outhelped and outsupplied any other institution in the Roman Empire. They were more generous. They were more quick to respond to physical needs. They were more, in, uh, more likely to show respect and submission to the governing authorities than anyone else, so that the Roman Empire and those around them looked at this new, as they called it, sect of Judaism and said, Wow! We don't know all about their practices, and some of the stuff's a little weird to us, and we don't know that we can agree with everything, but man, we're glad they're here. Now, of course, historically, that didn't last long with persecution and everything, but the point I'm trying to make is they were a light in a very dark world in that time in history. My friends, we're called to be the same positive light in our world today. And once again, huh. What a, what a need there is for that in this community. And as things continue to worsen instead of getting better, which is what will happen, wouldn't it be great for people to look in at Faith Baptist and say what was said of this early church? Wow. I don't know all about everything that they're into, and I don't know that I can sign on, but, man, they're doing so much good. I'm, I'm glad they're here. They are a positive example and a source of encouragement and light in our community. And that people could say, we had favor with all people. Here's the result of all this. Here's the best part. The best part. And this is 
ultimately why we are here, why we have to be here, why we exist. This ultimately has to be our main and constant motivation in all we do. You ready? Here's what it says at the end. And every day the Lord added to them, to the church, those who were being saved. Isn't that awesome? My friends, that is not something that's only possible for the first century church. We can absolutely see the same working of God in our midst. We can see the Lord constantly adding people to our assembly here, to this body, those that are being saved. But it requires everything that I I said a few minutes ago and and, and the heart and the, the attitude and the decisions that we see in the text here that was just read. It takes all of us. I can't just... You know, talk and talk and talk about the need to to share the faith that you have and to proclaim the Lord Jesus. I mean, I am going to talk and talk and talk about it, but at some point, each of you have got to decide, yes, I'm going to be about that. Yes, that's going to be a priority for me. I will share my faith. I will go out and love the lost. I will be real with them. You've got to own it. At some point, I can you know, talk and talk and talk about the need to serve, and I can bring up all the areas that, that need more servants in this ministry. And, and man, there are a lot. There's a lot, so stay tuned, because that's coming. But I can talk and talk about it. Hey, we need this, we need that. This area needs more ministers. This area needs more teachers. This area needs more leadership. I can talk and talk and talk about it, and even show you from Scripture why it's important. But until you own it, nothing will happen. I can talk about the need for authentic community. And doing life together and serving and loving together. And I can talk about praying together. I can do all that from this position, and I will. But until it gets into your heart and mind and until it's your vision as well, not just mine, then nothing will change and nothing will go forward. It takes all of us. And it's not just for practical reasons that that is so. It's not just because I can't do it all on my own. That's not the only reason. Even if I could, I shouldn't. You know why? Because Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 clearly outlines God's program for the way the church is to function from the pastoral position down to the membership, the congregation. It says, For the Lord gave the pastors and teachers for this purpose to equip the saints. That's you. That's you. So my role and Pastor Matthew's role and Pastor Scott's role, our role is not just to do it all for you, so that everybody can just kind of be a spectator. No, no, no. That might be the American cultural way of doing it, but that's not the biblical way. The biblical way is that we pour into you, that we equip you, that we give you the resources, the tools, the strategies, the encouragement, and the motivation, and then you as the body run with it. That's the point. That's the picture that Christ has for his church, and it's a beautiful picture. That's the type of church that Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. That's what he had in mind. That's what I have in mind. That's what I desire. Again, not because it's just me. It's because it's his desire. It's what I desire for you and I pray and I hope and I trust, I believe, that you desire that as well. I don't think you'd be here if you didn't. So, all that being said, that's the dream. That's the dream. Will you dream with me? 
Will you grab onto this with me? I can't do it alone. I don't want to do it alone, and I, I shouldn't, even if I could. That would not be fulfilling God's picture for the church. Will you picture this with me? Will you think about these things? Will you, will you ask God to give you your own dream and your own vision on top of what's already been shared? Will you ask God to just cement this into your own heart and your mind and, and to bring you fresh things as well that you can come back to me and, and I can get excited about? Will you do that, church? There's so much at stake. So much at stake. Next week, this was the dream. Next week, we're going to, to look at what we need. That's the N. Today was D, dream for DNA. Next week is the need. What do we need? What are our needs to, to turn this dream that I shared with you today into reality? How can we start seeing that go from, from just concept and principle and perspective to actually seeing it come into reality, to see the picture come into focus? What are some of those needs that we have on a practical standpoint? So I hope you come back next week. I hope you'll be excited about what we shared this week, and I hope that'll just be in your mind and heart. I'd love to hear from you guys. And then next week we'll talk about how to transition that into reality. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for everything you have already done in this place. I thank you for what you have done in this ministry, what you have made it already. I thank you for the leadership and the wisdom and the guidance in the heart of Pastor Larry Halsey. Thank you for his faithfulness to you over three decades. And thank you for every single person that's in a place of servant leadership in this church. Thank you for the vision they have. Thank you that that having a dream for this ministry and a vision for this ministry is not limited or unique to me. I know that. I know it's shared, and I thank you for that. I pray that as we go forward together, that we would truly be unified around the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost, and that at the heartbeat of all we do and all we're about, that it would be the gospel. Give us wisdom and give us clear direction. Let us recognize when things are of you and from you and when they are not. And when they are not, no matter how much it might seem good to us and no matter how much we have a tendency to cling to it, let us abandon those things that are not of you. Help us to pursue you and your picture for this church, I pray. I ask all of this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.